This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's it's not easy to change language, like invent new words. But at some point in history, all the words have been invented. And and in a way, I, I feel that English language is a little bit lacking its physical activity, exercise and sport. And like you said, people don't really relate to physical activity. Exercise is kind of really intentional thing that you do sometimes and you don't enjoy for most people. And sport is kind of more about games, more about this kind of playing. So I think there's uh, even missing a word for kind of daily activity. I, I, I think English language is missing words. In Finnish language, we actually have word which is derived from movement it's a little bit different than movement but people know it and it kind of means all of those it doesn't define one of them and i i think it's it works really well for the physical activity promotion yeah, and, and you know and finland have got a great tradition of for much for a much longer time consisting that that, that sort of fit for life campaign bringing and, and, and interesting and see what you might seek of this but one of my theories about about physical activity campaigns is they should never be run by a government um, and what I liked about the Finnish model it was run by the, the charity sector the sort of part foundation um, so if you're going to ask people to think about something if the government asks you to think about doing your taxes you probably you know get a bit anxious and react to that you know if, if a charity Ask you to think about something, then you have a different affective response, and and perhaps that's that's why the fin the Finnish work has been fantastic um, because it's always been outwit of the government. It's had the government you know, helping and supporting, but it's they're not the the public face. Um, so you know, and perhaps the coronavirus has taught us that actually you know government directives and edicts res- get provoke responses in people who generally wouldn't re- respond in that way if it was a different voice telling them. Um, but, you know, that's another problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think the words are really, really important. Like in in Nordic countries, you have free heads, free heads live uh, in a little bit different ways, but it means kind of all activities you do outside. It's kind of camping also and this kind of things. In Finnish, we have ulkoil, which means like, just moving outside. It doesn't make a difference what you do outside. And I think those are also easy to communicate that get out of the house. It's also for psychological benefits. So I think English language, we should be brave enough and actually invent words. Probably they don't start working quickly, but hopefully at some point in the future. Yes. What do you think? I completely agree with you. And in fact, in, in the recent COVID lockdown in the UK, the language used in the first lockdown was was you're allowed out of the house to do your daily exercise for 30 minutes. So in a way, we almost went back 15 years <laughs> instantly. Um, and actually what it did provoke us as a, as a body of folk working on communicating physical activity and, and led by Professor Net Nutri wrote to the chief medical officers with, with ways of rephrasing that particular 
uh, edict in a way that would be more positive, you know, uh, spending time on yourself, going outside just to refresh, change of scene, those sorts of things. So I think it's much more about the process rather than the outcome um, that we need to sort of focus on. But yes, so we need we need to be we need to be more Scandinavian. Clearly, we need to be more. I think in, in some sort of some things, maybe, <laughs> yeah. And actually, the language it's it's interesting. I'm we are working with with uh, our company Phoebe, and we are doing like a concept for the kids. And I was writing a script. We do a cartoon animation that the feedback from the measurements is a cartoon animation. And I was writing the script now that how do I talk about MVPA? <laughs> and and I, I've been con- consulting one uh, professional who's working with the four-year-old, year, four year old, and they had, for example, a test that put the hand on your throat, and do you feel the happy jumping heart? And so I tried to relate that to this kind of tell the story of happy jumping heart that people would think... Yeah, not not my idea, but I, I think it was something. And then really struggling that how do you communicate? Like, when do kids know that it's it's certain intensity? How could we talk about vigorous intensity activity? And yeah, I'm, I'm really thinking like, how do you talk four-year-old language as a so, so, <laughs> academic so I background? Know, I, I, don't, I don't know if it was helpful, Ollie, but you, you, you sparked me. So... Um, Professor Ross Jago had a really brilliant PhD student, and I apologise, her name slipped from my head. But she looked exactly at that for parents of toddlers, and the words that they came up with in English were huff and puff. Mm, yeah. Do yeah, things that make you huff and puff. I, 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 I just thought it was brilliant because it kind of encapsulated to me what you want. So... There you go. See what you make of it. It may work. It may not. But I'm sure there's a there's an equivalent of that. Um, so good words. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have any other recommendation for kind of children? Uh, we we thought that we follow the World Health Organization kind of sitting less and doing MVPA and then doing something like very intensive. I don't know how do we frame it, but it's kind of important for the motor development bones and so on but but what, what would be your takes how, how would you communicate to children them themselves themselves not only the parents or or adults gosh um oh, it's nearly 50 years since i've been that age um it's i i don't it, i don't think there's an easy answer because i think it was, we, we'd all we'd all be saying it um if we want to communicate to children, we have to use the words that they use. And I remember we were talking with some, some children as part of a research study talking about, about play. And I kept talking about play and they were looking very blankly at me because they thought it meant a theater with a stage and they were in a, uh, no. And I went, no, you know, playing. And they went, oh, you mean playing out? So playing out was going outside of the house with their friends and just playing you know playing a game in the street kicking a ball playing on bikes chasing each other that sort of thing so you know, you're really precise about about what that is and means and perhaps you know you take the domains of physical activity and you rephrase them into children's language and ask them to perhaps to choose things where they get a bit like your finished pie a bit there a bit there a bit there across the day make an activity meal out of these and this is just an idea i don't know 
Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's that's important. I I think we will just first make a version and then show it to kids and look for the responses that do they actually understand how do they how do they think about them. But I love, yeah, I love your uh, cartoon feedback. I think that's really interesting. That'll be really fascinating. Yeah, and and it's it's a little bit difficult. I I'm excited doing it because we we have tested it with some kids like the first versions and they they are in case they really look at them. But then at the same time, we don't want kids to get the idea of kind of medicalized physical activity. So you want to tell about benefits because I think it's really shame if somebody gets overweight and had bad fitness in in it's it's not nice but you really don't want to medicalize it in their minds so how do you tell about the advantages but not give a wrong impression i, I you know i, I so we had exactly the same experience working clinically uh, and, and and you know people would say well you know is that enough is that good am i bad you know and and they they'd almost self label and and what we i would try and do is is present that kind of threshold in the information in a neutral way say actually some people find it's really helpful to be told exactly how much to do other people kind of are just comfortable working out for themselves you know would you like to hear what you know the recommendation for how active adults need to be at the moment and they go really okay or no and and you, you share it and they say so what do you think how does it sound and then you sit back and, and let their reaction dictate what you do next um, and that kind of client-centered approach that um, you can use clinically is very helpful, but it's quite difficult to do it in a kind of in a, in a different context when you're when you're kind of transferring information from one point to another. Um, so that kind of rhetorical question, you might need that at the end of your cartoon, you know. Yeah, um, and actually, last week I was having a podcast recording with uh, Professor Amanda Daly from Oh Hofborough. yes, yeah, yeah. And and she's doing this physical activity caloric equivalent labeling thing with the food, and we discussed that. That's also really really difficult. It's important that people understand how much you need to move actually to burn a a, a cupcake or something, but it kind of brings the idea of food into wrong direction. But I I cannot make up my mind. Does it have more benefits or? Yeah, yeah, that, that's an interesting study, and of course, whatever you choose the comparator to be, it has an inherent value. And it may not be the value that you put on it. So you might say, "Well, it's it's three apples rather than one chocolate bar," and you know, whichever way you go, people will react differently to the comparator. So that's that's an interesting challenge, and I know those sorts of approaches have, have been tried before, and it's 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 a it's a challenging area to kind of communicate it in a way that doesn't have a value attached to the outcome. Um. For most sedentary behaviour and physical activity researchers, collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project, especially as inefficient data collection steals too much of your precious time, causes unnecessary stress and hassle, and can easily derail progress of your project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data, introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian Sense Motion is a cutting-edge next-generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. 
Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data, a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant, and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw 3-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.fibian.com. That is s-e-n-s.fibian.com. Fibian, created by researchers for researchers. And, and if we go to the physical activity guidelines in uh, national, national guidelines compared to the global ones and World Health Organization, what is the, what is the status at now? Well, at the moment, I, I, so, so 10 years ago, we had convergence. We had, um, we had similar physical activity guidelines, particularly for the aerobic components, almost un, unanimously across high-income countries. I'm sorry, I'm speaking yeah, about US, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, um, UK, Europe, um, and you know, we, there was convergence definitely around the moderate message. And I think in the last ten years, they, they we've drifted apart again a little bit. And the WHO guidelines are a very good opportunity, perhaps, to kind of reconverge around things. But you know, our guidelines are different to the WHO ones. Our age groups are different. You know, for even even the way we've cut the life course up is different. Um, because that's the way that our, our services are organized, literally for young people, they go up to 25. Well, the guidelines go up to 18, but you know, in some parts of the UK services are 25 or so. You know, just that sort of simple area. I, 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 think, I think the WHO guidelines have been fabulous. I, I think that my only gentle criticism might be that they're quite complex. They've actually made more things in them than less, but that's okay. The challenge will be about how we communicate those. Um, to policymakers so they can adopt them and then reflecting onto their public and populations and health systems or wherever they need to, to be disseminated. And that's that's really where we find ourselves. We, we've, we've had guidelines for 10, 15 years and we're suddenly sitting back and going, well, what do we do with them? I'm over here. Yeah, here is our physical activity guidelines on my desk. You know, how do we make these come alive? You know, we've got the infographics in here. Um, that's great. But, you know, we, we have a committee... And in fact, we have a Scotland pilot now, which is fabulous, um, on how we band together the communication of fiscal activity guidelines across all the stakeholders in a system that talk about movement from transport to sport to education. Um, so, you know, that's really, really interesting. Um, just, just even organizing the, the, the communication of, of their own materials, but making sure that there's still a spine of the correct information that's positively game-framed, et cetera. That would be a brilliant first step. Um, so, you know, we, we, you know the, 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 the physical activity guidelines internationally, I think, are fairly similar, but I think we have to allow for local nuance. And I'm working with a, with a country in the Far East in Singapore, and we're trying to make sure we can we can add a singapore spin to the to the to the physical activity guidelines because every policymaker wants to be unique and different and world first and so we have to kind of you know make sure that's appropriate um, for them and they're doing a fantastic job that real 
real insight into the next stage, which is making the guidelines come alive for their population. Uh, and I'm really excited about that work. So it'd be good to see where that goes. And and this might be a silly question, but national guidelines, who are they for? Like <laughs> you have the document, who who is it for? This this document, <laughs> this kind of form of text. I'll check. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I think I think they are for and certainly they're for a scientific and certainly a medical community. It was commissioned within a healthcare system by our chief medical officers. So they see that that's the first natural community for which they are, for the health professionals who do clinical management for conditions related to physical inactivity or activity. So, you know, we have all those folk in the system, but, um, you know, they, they they are they are kind of standalone. There's almost like a deck, you know when you get you get you get your you, your four suits of cards in a card game. I think you know you want to have you you want to have the four suits. You want to have all the all the different cards: hearts, clubs, feet, bays, and, and, and diamonds. And, you know we've got alcohol, smoking, physical activity, and uh, probably something probably screen time might be in there, or you know some other health behaviour as well. And I think I think you know public health agencies recognise they have to work across these different areas, sexual health, for example, is another one. Um, so having a suite of kind of population recommendations kind of feels like you're a maturing public health agency and body. Um, and uh, that's that's interest, That's an interesting place to be. Yeah, but, but basically when we talked about the language, these guidelines are for professionals. So yeah, they can uh, be yeah. a little yeah. bit more complicated language, but we need totally. to remember that when we start to communicate it to pregnant women, children, adults, youth, we probably need to modify it quite a bit. And I think quite often we use the same language, right? Yeah, absolutely, Oli. You nailed it. That is a beautiful summary of the challenge we face. Yeah. So, so uh, where, where do we go next with the with the guidelines? Oh, good question. Okay, um, so look, if, if I look forward in the future, I think things might become a bit more complicated. I'm hoping on one front we just get better engaging with the public and learning their language and learning their views, reflecting that in the way we communicate with them. That that has to happen. But the, the next sort of challenge will be. Um, when you, you you'll love this is device device derived indices of movement and activity, because I think they will change some of the assumptive relationships we have between physical activity as measured in different ways through questionnaires and relations with health outcomes. And I'll, I'll give you an example. There's a nice paper published out of the Cambridge MRC group looking at um, device derived indices from accelerometry across a whole different numbers of predicted mortality morbidity. And that dose-response curve that we love, that beautiful ski slope, that it wasn't there. You know, it was some things it was going in other directions from the derived way. And I think that's going to challenge us because we have to take the device-derived indices and turn them some way, if possible, back into behavior that people will understand. Because I can't see a physical activity recommendation being uh, seven thousand millijoules of movement, <laughs> millihertz of movement. You know, we, we, we're going to have to somehow back translate that to something that will certainly someone like I can understand, and also then the, the public can understand as well. Um, so 
the, the, we'll, we'll look forward to seeing what, what the dark arts of the, of the device-derived indices will come up with. Um, and I know there are many arguments within that community about just how do you deal with that kind of data? So, but it will change the way perhaps some of our relationships we see between movement as derived and measured by those those uh, those mechanisms and our health outcomes. Yeah, that that's a good point. I think the current recommendations are for the questionnaires or how people think and remember activity. And we have noticed also that when you have, for example, Taiwan device you usually get the MVPA because it's measuring everything like just one fast step here and there and it it accumulates during the day. It's probably people, those those people are not active enough even though it seems that they get it. So, so I think it's difficult to communicate for people to think and remember and then some of them have the devices on their wrist or elsewhere. So how, how do you see, how can we manage this in the recommendations or in the future well um i think as scientists we have to acknowledge that there are issues that are sticky between constructing metrics of of activity and status from these devices um so cut points are contentious for example as a way of doing it um if you apply bout length, well, we don't need to do that in behavioral recommendations, but if you if you don't apply bout length, cut points and that kind of data, that's also interesting. You might throw a whole bunch away. So, but then we have to recognize, we have to work what that as an exposure measure actually means in terms of health outcomes. And then if it's meaningful, we have to retranslate the exposure measure into something people can understand. I don't know how to do that yet. And I think that's the real challenge. Um, but I'm hoping people will be able to help us with that, which is why, of course, the, the kind of commercial devices, you know, your phone that tells you how many steps you've had, your watch that says how many activity points you generated today are actually useful because they're going through that whole cycle immediately for you. and You get the behavioral reinforcement. Um, but, you know, making that as a metric for a, nat- a public health level population physical activity recommendations is a new, is a new challenge. So we'll probably still see the same things for the next 10 years, but I think my predict they will change because these short, light bouts of activity, light intensity bouts of activity may actually be really, really important, particularly for, for older adults who move less. Mm. So some, some challenges for the future. <laughs> Always. Uh, it, it, yeah. It's, it's been really, really interesting discussions. Do you have something you would like to add here? Um, no, well, first of all, thank you for letting me ramble on about about guidelines. I, you know, they've they've been a massive um, privilege to to help construct. I've worked with some fantastic academics, both in the UK and also internationally, and it's it's odd, but for for many academics, it's not their day job creating guidelines, but they get called in to do them. And for me, it was my day job to do them, and you know, I just I just think what we have to do is is bring forward a new generation of of of, of all scientists who recognise their work can contribute to this. It's not just the epidemiologists who do this or the behaviourists, but actually everybody who is involved in physical activity promotion has a stake in making sure that what we are asking people to do or encouraging them to do is based in evidence, scientifically sound, and is safe. 
Mm. That's what I want. Yeah, yeah. And if you have anything to advertise here, a PhD position, <laughs> researcher position, or a collaboration, you're looking for something. You yeah, feel free. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Well, we're, well, we're definitely looking for for a collaboration around e-bikes. Um, we, yeah, we're interested for global researchers who are doing work around e-bikes and their application. We have two trials on cancer prevention and post-cancer treatment that we're underway, and we're looking for others around the world to connect around e-bike uh, related work. So that's a definite. Um, we're always looking for brilliant PhD students particularly keen to have to hear from people who are interested in these particular areas that kind of applied side of things and of course we run a fabulous master's program at the University of Bristol and I would strongly encourage you if you've just done an undergraduate degree anywhere in the world that's related to, related to a science we take psychology uh, biochemistry etc come and learn about physical activity nutrition and public health we combine the two behaviors because they're linked Uh, so come and join us in Bristol. We'd love love to see you and and help help study and learn from you and with you. Yeah, no, that's that's good. And I I think the e-bike thing is is very interesting. I actually noticed just yesterday in the news that BMW had a concept that it's kind of a, between e-bike and a motorbike, and it changes that in the city it goes like forty kilometers per hour on the trails twenty five, and <laughs> Outside the city, it goes sixty kilometers per hour, <laughs> so you can kind of kind of travel with it. And I, I yeah. think it was clever, like yeah. out of the box thinking. And I, I think those e-bikes and some kind of new concepts will will really change how we think about getting from place A to B. Yeah, so no, I you're absolutely right. Nice that you yeah. do. Study. Yeah, I, you yeah. know, we're seeing them in higher schemes across cities, and and of course we've got the they're, they're kind of rival the scooters. The e-scooters are the, the the new rivals on the block, which Probably less health promoting, I suspect, but who knows? But I'd love to hear from people. That would be been fantastic, and it's been a massive pleasure chatting to you today, Ollie. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So thank you, Charlie, for taking the time. Okay, great. Thank you very much, and and, and good luck, everybody. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be great help for us we have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes so be sure to tune in thank you all for your support and have a great day